0: Welcome to Smart Energy Voices, an SED podcast featuring conversations with leaders of the energy transition hosted by Smart Energy Decisions' own Deborah Channel. In each episode of Smart Energy Voices, Debra digs deep with industry movers and shakers to reveal insights you can learn from in their stories, personalities, and visions for the future. All right, let's dive in.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Smart Energy Voices. I'm Deborah Channel, Editorial and Research Director here at Smart Energy Decisions, and I'm thrilled to introduce myself to you as the new host of Smart Energy Voices. I'm following in John Fiella's footsteps, which is exciting and only a little intimidating, but I look forward to continuing the work that John has done to bring more voices to our show and to continue to help you make those smart energy decisions. Today, we're sharing a talk from our recent Net Zero Forum, featuring a perspective different from what we usually feature on our stage. And we're thrilled to have Joe Carrillo, the regional vice president of SSA Marine. He's not from the sustainability or energy side of his company, as we'd usually feature, but instead he represents the boots on the ground, the person responsible for implementing the programs that will help them meet their goals. SSA Marine, the world's largest privately held marine terminal and rail yard operator, is forging ahead with a program they're calling the Great Cargo Handling Transformation. And this involves their move to near and zero emissions in their ports all along the California coast. Joe Carrillo was very generous in sharing SSA Marine's plans, their sustainability goals, their projects, and their partnerships in California. So let's get started. Here's Joe.
2: Good afternoon, everyone. Thank you for the intro. Thank you, Smart Energy, for allowing me to share some of my experiences um, in our industry of maritime, some of the projects we have done in our company throughout our global um, footprint, but also I'll focus mainly on California ports, one quick disclaimer like they mentioned I'm not the sustainability director I'm the boots on the ground guy I've been working on sustainability efforts when it comes to equipment and emission reductions since 2017 with my partners in California northern part of California and I'll also share some of my our projects we're doing up and down from LA Long Beach all the way up to northern California A show of hands please of um in the last 2 years if anyone has looked at their Amazon delivery or their target delivery and said, oh man, it's delayed another two weeks. How many people have had that happen to them? Okay. Well, that wasn't at my port. Okay. <laughs> yes. Uh, we've had a, a supply chain disruption in the last couple of years. If you want to know more about that too, you can see me after. Uh, I'm glad to explain all that to you as well. And so let's give you a little history about SSA Marine. We were established in 1949. Um, we were um, about 17,000 employees today. And um, we started in a, a small town in Bellingham, Washington. Just a family, Smith Hemingway family, looking to um, just grow the business and, and looking to see how we can adopt Adoring um, um, That's managing carriers and, and, and contracts at our ports. And we grew into this multinational five-continent company with numerous um, handling of all different types of cargo. From you whatever you move right now as a company or suppliers, we've probably touched it. Currently, we did things like the bases for the Mojave Desert at Port of Stockton, the bases for the solar out there. So we've took on some to call torque pipes out there and we and we introduced those into our operations this past summer. That was one one thing that's doing and then everything else that comes inside a container at our Oakland Terminal. So we we touched everything and, and we handle so much cargo. It's it's um on every aspect, intermodal, rail at the port, trucking. So we do a lot of, of different items. How we're structured, um, we have a holding company named Carex Enterprises, and that falls into like three main groups. Our Tideworks Technology Group, so that they build terminal operating systems for our company, for we can operate our terminals throughout the world, as well as um, all of our hardware, what we do, and to maintain us for cybersecurity and so forth. And then we have our our RMS side, which is our intermodal side. So we operate over 30 intermodal sites throughout the country with all of our partners of like Union Pacific, um, BNSF, Nor- Norfolk Southern, Kansas City Southern. So numerous, numerous rail, railheads throughout the U.S. handling cars, containers, just different types of commodities. So um, as I get into my, my more into detail about the equipment side, at every place we operate, we bring our own equipment to different terminals to operate at their site. And I'm going to show you guys a quick video to kind of you guys into like how massive we have to do to move our equipment into near and zero emission equipment and this is a project that they had down in long beach
3: can container terminals using rubber tired gantry cranes powered by diesel fuel retrofit those cranes to run on electricity that was the challenge taken on by ssa marine at its Pier j terminal at the port of long beach Today, after several years of development, SSA is successfully operating nine retrofitted cranes and monitoring their performance as the cranes are used every day to stack containers in the terminal's yard. With the help of a $9.7 million grant from the California Energy Commission and funding from the port, SSA installed very long extension cords in trenches along the tracks to power the cranes whose diesel engines have been replaced to run on electricity. Prior to the conversion, each 1,000-horsepower gantry crane was burning 10 gallons of diesel fuel per hour, working about 2,000 hours each year. Retrofitting to electric will eliminate approximately 18 tons of nitrogen oxides and 1,500 tons of greenhouse gas emissions every year. To find out more about all the zero emissions projects currently taking place at the Port of Long Beach, please visit www.polb.com forward slash zero emissions.
2: All right, so that was kind of one of our biggest machines that we handle that handles um, cargo up to 35 tons on those machines and a project we did in Panama back in 2010, 11-ish. Panama is kind of our our flagship port for our company. We did that same, same type of um, retrofit with diesel RTGs to become stationary and with the electrification. So I'll get into some of the, some of the items that we basically are, are facing in California with um, decarbonization of our equipment and our ports throughout our 11 ports in California we operate at. Um, You know, the regulations, you know, um, L.A. Long Beach, they have a a regulation that's called the Clean Air Action Plan, which is going to have all of our ports. We think we have like six total in in L.A. Long Beach to be all zero emission by 2030. That's going to be a cost of somewhere between half a billion dollars to a billion dollars possibly. For all the ports, um, and that's just our um, company. All the other companies are going to be have to do the same thing as well. So what does that mean? How, how are we going to get there in, in seven years? Um, we started doing this about 10 years ago and we're working on continuing it to move into that zero emission platform, but it's been a, a challenge, um, other, Companies are asking us to do other things and involved in in moving to zero more rapidly. And, but really Long Beach ports are the more, um, kind of the more aggressive, um, mandates coming down the pipeline for us as a company. Here are some of the, the takeaways we've done so far um, in, in the company. You know, you guys can read the slide, but a lot of renewable diesel um, in all of our ports where we operate. Um, we do some carbon offsetting. We've replaced equipment with higher tier diesel, but also all electrified. And then now we're even moving into hybrids with um, fuel cell and battery as, a, as alternatives to going to zero emissions. In grant funding, we have $54 million in grant funding that we've been rewarded for the last few years in, in moving our fleets to zero emissions throughout our network. Carex has numerous companies. So basically we have trucking, we, we have the ports. So basic on all this money has been kind of thrown throughout all of our, our Carex enterprise to, to help with us moving into zero emissions. And I'll show you guys a few more of, of things that we went through on the where it says um, how does a project become shovel ready so these are just some of the items that we faced when we confronted starting projects on like how do we start a project and what do we do and and you know it's very you guys can read all the slides but in general it's come from start to finish find a find a piece of equipment you're going to replace for us was different types of equipment that we're going um basically through the mandates, we're going to be sunsetted, and we talk to our partners. Our, our big partners in, in our industry is, are the port authorities. One of my buddies that I met, um, Jeff Wingfield's here as well from the Port of Stockton. He helped us with a, a nice project in Stockton. And I'll get into that later. But overall, um, our partners are public entities at the ports. They have always done a great job with us in, in all of our ports to continue to to move into that zero-emission platform. I'll explain a little bit about our projects we've been, um, doing for the last 12 years. Just like in Panama, this is the one we saw on the, on the video, and it shows kind of what that looks like and, and the efficiencies we've produced moving into zero emission with the nine electric RCGs. It's been, um, an ongoing project for us down in LA Long Beach to move us all the way through to zero. Um, but it's, taking a a little bit of time, effort, and then also capital, right? Capital is going to be the big item um, that it's going to be hard to discuss in the future with with all of our customers too, because our customers are basically all of you. As well as our primary customer is the carrier, the, the ship that brings the cargo importing into the U.S. So for us, it's, um, it's, it's going to be difficult for us to try to say, okay, how does all this cost affect our, our business and our customers coming into the seaports in, in the U.S. West Coast? So this machine here, you can see a picture of a top handler. They, they're they kind of really mobile. That's probably our, our workhorse of our port operations. They can handle up to like 32 metric tons of cargo on a container. All of them now are all diesel-fueled. And they're the ones that can move around. The maneuverability for them is is very easy, not like those big RTGs you saw, where they can play Tetris in these stacks. These machines here, they can run around the, the yard and do empty containers to trucks or full containers to trucks. And basically, they're our workhorse. But we had a project with four of these, with all battery, with two megawatts of power on them. And it took about 15 hours to charge after they died and they only lasted about two hours. So it was like, how are we going to move into this? type of technology if we're only getting two hours of work out of them and then charging over 15 hours. So that was our one of our very first projects with Taylor, which is our kind of go-to manufacturer that we use with our diesel forklift um, top handlers already. So we're continuing to work with them as well and, and um, basically we're going into a different model, um, a different type of um, fueling alternative for this type of equipment in the future. Okay, this is our, our, our one of our other um, projects in the port of oakland so another another great partner port of oakland we basically retrofitted 13 rtgs there and those ones were able to they weren't secure by by rail they were still going to be mobile so they're they can still go to all different stacks in the terminal everything in the terminal are stacked in rows and and they go all they can go long long for about i don't know maybe a couple hundred yards two to three hundred yards and then they have a break in the in the row but overall These were basically, we transitioned the generator to battery. So now we went full battery running the machines, and then we had a small generator. So it kind of flipped the coin on what we did for savings of emission reduction. So this was a great project for us, and it kept the mobility of the uh, machine itself. So we're going to continue to see how we can either continue in Port of Oakland. The The rule right now is twenty 2030 of um, full zero emissions. So we're just trying to hedge our bets with all the capital. How do we continue to move forward? And so we're just looking at all those sunset days at all the ports where we operate to um, keep us active and operating. Another great project here, we had 38 zero emission, the yard, they call them yard trucks or yard goats or UTRs. Um, we have these at our American flagship port in Matson, in both LA, Long Beach and in Oakland. These types of uh, cargo handling machines, they pretty um sturdy. We found that some of these when they start to come out, some be- the ones prior to these lifts, the chassis was folding because of the weight. um we' Put two 20 foot containers on a chassis and it was folding the, cause they were about 30 tons each and it was folding the, um, the chassis. So we, we lessons learned there as we were able to, to move forward and get a, a stronger chassis. But I mean, it shows you where, where we're work at with the other kind of workhorse in the terminal is, is a yard tractor, um, that moves all of our cargo around as we operate. Like I mentioned before, we have a company named Shippers Transport Express, and they're basically our drayage company. They move cargo in and out of the ports, both in Carson and both and in Oakland. Carson's about an eight-mile one-way trip, so it's a little bit easier to get to and from the ports there. So that's like a VIP service for our customers. And for our top customers, we will deploy our trucks to the ports where we operate and then move them out of the ports to give them a faster turn time to get in and out of um, the port community um, as they come in. And in Oakland too, we we um, brought in 10 of these Peterbilts. And I was talking to my partner in, in Oakland and he was like, yeah, they don't make it over the Altamont Pass. So they couldn't even, in the beginning, they couldn't make them over the Altamont Pass and they had to head back home. And, and so we're still working on these class eight trucks, but um, I've heard that they've had some new upgrades and they're getting back to our location in French Camp. That's a little further than like the Carson location. This location is Oakland to French Camp, which is about seventy miles, and then going up a hill up, up the Altamont Pass, and then down into the valley. So it was it was a tough um, project, but we are getting through it. And this one here is like my pride and joy. I mean, I moved back home from Panama in 2017, and I met some good partners, like I mentioned, Jeff from the Port of Stockton. And when I got here in December of 16, all I heard was. Everything is going to zero emission. And it was like, know I run small ports. So I have more cargo that's outside of a container. Those were kind of my specialty. So ag business, I do um, rice exports going to Asia uh, on a free trade agreement. We do cement importing in steel. So steel is a big industrial commodity coming into Port of Stockton. So we came up with a, a forklift that we used as a diesel forklift. And I heard all these rumors of of us having to go to zero emission. So I'm like, you know what? These big ports are gonna take all the money sooner than later. So I'm gonna go ahead and try to clean up my fleet faster than they are, you know. And I'm the I was a small fleet, but this forklift eighteen metric ton capacity, it kinda works for us. It's kind of the workhorse of our fleets so of handling cargo outside of a container. That started up in 2017-18. We had our first forklift on the ground in January of 2020. The first few months were really tough, right? Um, some batteries were going out. We had good vendors, though. a good manufacturer, a good battery management system um, that provided the, the batteries for us. And basically, um, they took them back and they exchanged them. We were under warranty, but... Even to this day, some of those batteries on the older first generation forklifts, they basically are, are re- retrofitting those batteries to be more efficient right now today. Actually, they took some back yesterday. But overall, we were up to 2023. We started with, with 18 forklifts, 12 at the, from the Port of Stockton and six for ours with these m- massive forklifts, biggest forklifts, um, that are actually working in operations in the world right now as a fleet. And they're working to the ability they can. They work about six to eight hours, depending on all kinds of variables, but overall, they're doing what we need them to do in, in that platform and, and what we do for not like the big ports where they're 24-7 nonstop. Ours, we have some flexibility, so they've been working out pretty well. Back to what we come, some of the lessons learned, I, I mentioned some of them already, but maturity of a, and availability of technologies, right? What's out there? We've kind of tested everything for the most part up to this point, and there's nothing really that's today comparable to what we have as our diesel forklift or our diesel top handler. We're getting there, but we're we're still not there yet. You know, people in the community always ask my partner, hey, why can't we move over? And we're trying our best and we're getting to a certain level. But right now, the, the machines aren't there yet. But here's what we're doing. So we, we're out in front trying to talk to all the different communities and say, look, this is what we're doing as a terminal operator, as partners with our ports and to all the workers that work where we operate, that we're cleaning up our ports all around us. Um Another thing is the cost, right? I mentioned earlier, you know, looking at the forklifts I bought and luckily I was, I was I'm able to get a grant for a lot of the f- cost. but right today they're about $550,000 for one forklift and I was paying $220,000 in 2018 and they're not, they're not efficient enough to, to work. So I have to buy more forklifts. So that's going to be, you know, that we're working on all that and then charging stations, infrastructure and so forth. You know, the availability equipment right now, there's lead time on the forklift that I mentioned was probably 18 months now. And um, we were talking in some of the peer-to-peer meetings earlier today about who do we talk to about grants? Who do we talk to about sunset dates? And it's hard because we had to do it ourselves. And then we finally hired a grant manager last summer to help us with all this. But we were doing it on our own for five years. And it was difficult to know what to do. And having partners like the Port of Stockton and Port of Oakland and Port of L.A. Long Beach, they had people that were helping with all that as well. But overall, it, it's a challenge. And especially when you think about it, when you go to a two-to-one replacement rate, now you're talking about space. And um, our terminals are based on space. Just like probably your manufacturing sites and your lay-down yards, it's all about capacity and space. For us, it's it's vital. And Having to put in infrastructure, it's, it's going to be tough to take away some of our lay down space, but also um, where are we going to put all your equipment to charge? Some of the things I'm also saying is um, throughput, right? So when we have to go back to a charger throughout the shift, if we don't get that eight hour shift, we're going to end up it was another basically shift, one, one eight hour shift. It, and the cost on an eight hour shift approximately for that customer would be $30,000. So it's like we're trying to do all these things and trying to figure out what's the most efficient way to move into zero emission. And basically, we're sharing these this information with our port partners, with our CBOs and, and our supply, the people that help, that are shippers. And they're like, why am I going to pay for this if I don't have to do it now? So those are things I'm working on now with our customers. Grid capacity, right? We have a port, for example, down in Long Beach that we have to... We, we we leased the land for about 30 years, and we basically, from the fence line to the berth, we got to build shore power, plug in the ship. Because in 2025, the ship for Roro, for the car ships, they have to stop their motors, their engine, at berth and not and use shore power or some type of power to reduce emissions. So for us to do that project... Preliminary numbers was like forty million dollars to get from the fence line to the berth to put in a, a plug. It's one of those things where you know we ha- we're going to have to do it because we want to keep the business going. You know, some of the other things we we do is um, one port. When you know, we always hear this: when you see one port, you've only seen one port. You know, it's um different. Every port is entirely different. <laughs> you know, I've met a lot of suppliers here, and, and I explained to them about different scenarios we have, we have long-term leases, short-term leases, like all of our port properties are all leased. So to put on PPA agreements or to do things with solar for a long period of time, it's a mutual agreement with our port authority. So we work closely with them to see how we can do these types of um, projects. And that's kind of going to be the, the focus for a lot of the suppliers that come to the, all these ports. And they're going to need them all. They're going to need all the help they can get, especially down in LA Long Beach in the next seven years. So it's, it's important. A little bit about the grant funding, right? Grant funding itself, it's um, what's eligible, right? So lo- so those forklifts that I showed you that we worked on, we tried to get a federal grant, a good example. We tried to get a federal grant, but the hours of operation on those forklifts were less than 500 hours a year. You know, that being said, they were only going to give me 10% funding from the Air Quality District for that project. So we had a kind of sidestep and try another project where, Um, it's called the core voucher project where they were able to give us 50% funding for our project. So it's kind of knowing which one to go with. And for us on the federal type of funding pots they have in California right now and the federal and the, and the state federal is harder right now because you have to scrap a piece of equipment. So if it's still viable and usable, we'd have to have a piece of equipment where we have to drill a hole in it to get a new piece of equipment. So. That's also another formula that we look at to see how we can continue to go and develop um, our fleet. You know, like I mentioned before, infrastructure, you know, what what do we do with infrastructure? That's huge. Port partners are, for us, are, are the most important relationship right now, moving to zero. Um, and having that relationship with them is, is key for, for us and people that are trying to help us get um, battery storage and, and um, get us um, like warehousing. Um, that's something that we look to our port partners to do with us. In closing, basically, I just wanted to kind of just give you guys an overview of what happens in a port community and what we're facing overall. We have our sustainability director and we have, um, we started a group up in our corporate headquarters in Seattle just a year and a half ago. So they're still working on our emission inventory and they're working on, okay, how do we get all this together? And we were talking about that in our advisory meeting about how do we gather all this from all these countries and all these ports we operate and, it's difficult. And to get it all right, it's so hard. But we're we're working through it. And I've been doing this now for five years and I want to make an impact and, and help my, my company and help anyone that needs help with this type of knowledge. Um, that's why I'm here. I got referred by a big customer that we have and um, If there's anything you guys need from me in the future, please feel free to contact me. I mean, it's, it's sharing knowledge that's going to get us to zero. So I appreciate everyone's time and thank you for listening today.
1: Thank you, Joe, for joining us at the Net Zero event as our keynote speaker. We look forward to watching your leadership in the great cargo handling transformation in California and to see what happens next. I'd also like to thank you, our community of listeners, for tuning into this podcast and being a part of Smart Energy Decisions. If you enjoyed the episode, you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, and don't forget to tell your colleagues and peers about it, too. To learn about how you can become part of the next Smart Energy Decisions event, click on the link in the show notes for more information. We're honored to have the opportunity to share conversations with leaders of the energy transition as part of this podcast, as well as on our website and at our events. And it's all in the interest of helping you make smart energy decisions.
0: Thanks for listening to Smart Energy Voices, an SED podcast. Digest the insights from today's episode and take action on the ideas that have inspired you. Join us every Friday for Conversations with Smart Energy Leaders. We also invite you to check out another SED podcast, Beyond the Meter. Each episode of Beyond the Meter features innovative energy projects and initiatives by large electric power users. To keep up to date with trends and happenings in the energy transition, visit smartenergydecisions.com to register for our daily newsletter and become part of the Smart Energy Decisions community.